is the Australian Rescue Podcast. This is the Australian Rescue Podcast. Welcome to another episode. It's been a while since we've done one, but um, look, I'll tell you what, we've got a good guest today. Kelvin Wise um, is from the New South Wales Emergency Management Group, I guess. Where are you based exactly at the moment, Kel? Yeah, thanks, Steve. Uh, based in Dubbo, uh, in the central west part of New South Wales. And, um, yeah, we work for the police as a, a region emergency management officer um, who looks after a, uh, a portfolio for assistant commissioner of police. I am uh, not a sworn officer of police, so that I'll, I'll just uh, work for them. Oh, that's kind of handy. So a civilian officer in um, police uniform. Oh, no, not a police uniform. Not even? No, he's up a bit there. <laughs> <laughs> but either way, you do a lot with the police in uh, in your particular region there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do a, a hell of a lot with the uh, with the cops, yeah. Well, I met you uh, in Broken Hill years and years ago, and you were doing the same thing out there as well. Um, what's changed? Uh, changed is uh, location. Um, I was fortunate enough to uh, get a job here at... Uh, the central west part of uh, New South Wales after a guy retired. Um, yeah, but I, I first uh, won the position um, out at Broken Hill when I was sitting at Gunnedah at, uh, on, the, on the land there for a little while. Well, take us back to that time. What actually got you involved in emergency management? Because uh, I think it'd be a good idea to find out a bit of a history behind you first and then figure out and hear what you've been doing recently. Oh, right, mate. I was uh, born and bred in, uh, on the land there around, uh, around Gunnada. I had a little property uh, uh, at Mullally, a little farm, and uh, we run a few beef cows and uh, a bit of uh, cereal crop there for about 20 years. And uh, Gunnada um, or Mullally is just, West of Gunnedah, which is uh, uh, west of Tamworth. Everyone sort of seems to know where the country music capital is, so that sort of <laughs> that northern New South yeah. Wales area. <laughs> uh, the uh, high interest rates in, in the eighties uh, give us a fair sort of a touch up, and then the the droughts in the nineties uh, really finished me off a bit, you might say, uh, to sort of think and need to get a career. Uh, outside of uh, the agriculture uh, part, so and given the fact that we're currently going through a major drought again here uh, in 2018, I'm uh, just like to offer uh, a bit of uh, advice to other people that were in my position before that there is life after farming. Uh, it can be. Very hard to uh, leave, certainly, uh, uh, an agricultural family uh, from farming. You not only let your uh, your family down, but you let your neighbours and your community down. That's how much of an attachment you have with the uh, with the land. So, um, I uh, broke ties with the uh, the farming area and uh, went and uh, put myself through four years of study while I was on the land. And uh, let me tell you, that was Fairly interesting trying to write essays at the same time as you're trying to uh, feed cattle and uh, those sort of stuff. And uh, yeah, it was it was quite a challenge doing that uh, advanced diploma in disaster management. It was called, and I'd done it through the uh, University of New England and uh, correspondence course. So basically, I had to go back and learn how to write an essay, essay first. Uh, but it was interesting. <laughs> 
a lot of the subjects that I I've done, um, the, the bloke that was marking my essays uh, pipe up and say, Kel, you've hit the nail on the head again. So um, it was only through sheer experience and what I've uh, been through uh, with the emergency services, uh, you know, the SES for 15 years and the uh, rural fire service for seven type of thing that gave me that experience to sort of put on paper uh, for them. So, but anyway, I graduated from that in 2000, and um, uh, that was pretty handy. It took me a little mm. while to sell the farm at Mullally and then uh, moved to Gunnada to uh, you know, take up other little odd jobs and stuff before I could uh, break into the full-time employment and get a, a government job. So it was pretty interesting. So I've done... Done a bit of time, started off with the SES as just a, a mere pleb and worked myself right through the uh, the Tambor Springs unit uh, to be a, a co-unit controller. Um, and then uh, went once I sold the farm, I went to Gunnada and joined the Nemoy Region SES um, there. And uh, back in them days, I got through the, the uh, was an unpaid position of Deputy Region Controller. So... And, and that was of operations. So yeah, so that's that's in the Narrabri area. Uh, Nemoy River is at Gunnedah. Goes through uh, through. Oh, starts off up there near Cape Dam, um, Manila, down there. Uh, the Peel drops into it there, just below uh, Cape Dam, and then goes through to Gunnedah, Narrabri, and then out through Weewar, and then eventually drops into the uh, Barwon Darling system. So. That, uh, that's a little way down the track, but yeah, no, that was uh, all pretty good. So the mm. the time that I had at uh, Tambor Springs was uh, they are a full primary rescue uh, unit, so we done everything. You know, anything from uh, car, motor vehicle accidents, truck accidents, etc., on the roads and highways around there to farm incidences and uh, you know searches and. Vertical rescues around cliffs and, and that sort of stuff in the in, and, and uh, the scrub and also the, uh, the the just the area around Tamba Springs and Prima and uh, Malali. So yeah, it's quite a quite a good time. The um, I've led teams down to Sydney storms and Newcastle storms and all that sort of stuff, and that's mm. that's quite funny. That um, I remember one one time we're putting a uh, a tarp on a roof in Sydney and. Saying, "Oh, you blokes are doing all right on a weekend. You should be on overtime, wouldn't you?" We looked at him and said, "Mate, what planet are you on?" And we're volunteers, and we've driven six and a half hours all night last night to get here just to put a tarp on your roof. Yeah, <laughs> some people don't have a clue, do they? Nah, not at all. So, and uh, but anyway, uh, that's what we train for, and it's and it's good to bring the the young people that join SES that, you know, I'm training or they're under my care type thing, to drag them through and say that they are big, a part of a big family. Yes, you're in a little tiny unit in the back rocks of New South Wales type of thing, but once they see that, well, the easiest way is when we're lining up for a feed at a big club and there's 300 pairs of orange overalls in front of mm-hmm. them before they get a feed, they think, geez, this family is a bit big. <laughs> <laughs> And then you get to meet everybody and go, where are you from? Oh, I'm from there. And then everybody's still got the same issues everywhere yeah. all over the country. Yeah, exactly right. So, you know, and, you know, I've taught them uh, general land rescue, vertical rescue, uh, and, uh, you know, road crash, 
uh, chainsaws, flood boats, you know, instructor and all that sort of stuff just to keep them going, storm damage and, and that. So, yeah, we're a fairly diverse unit. We uh, trained really hard. I remember setting up an exercise there at Tamba Springs one night. We went and rolled the car over and on the side of the road in a table drain and, you know, just down near the tip and uh, went up to the uh, the SES shed and we said, right, out, we've uh, just just taken a phone call and we've got a race down and uh, there's a, a motor vehicle accident near the tip. Right, off we go down there. And then uh, our troops got down and they said, there's nothing down here. You sure? You know, someone had pinched the car. <laughs> well, that was pretty interesting. So, yeah, we had some. We certainly had some fun and games with the the rescue and the training of SES. But another fun job we had was the driver reviver part. Where uh, remember you used to stop for a cup of coffee and a Kit Kat. Yeah, you well, always used to enjoy those where you'd just be able to sit down and have a good chat with all your mates from the unit or whatever. And it was a good time to actually get to know people a lot more than just being out on a job or, or through training. I found. Yeah, and also um, the the people that you meet, and I, I think it sort of half set me up for the job I'm in now because of all the liaison and networking I do. This sort of it was a bit of a grounding there because you meet. Anyone and everyone comes through. I remember one late one night we had uh, five of these uh, teenagers crawled out of this little Corolla. They were from Melbourne, and they were going to Rockhampton for a wedding over a long weekend and returning. And I'm thinking, right. they're the blokes we have to stop and give a cup of coffee before they run off the road, and then we've got to go and Absolutely. Pick, pick them up with a stick and a spoon on the side, off the side of the road. So, um, yeah, no... Pretty, uh, pretty good times. There's uh, a lot of stories I could tell you about uh, the people we meet at Driver Revival, let me tell you. Yeah. Oh, well, you've been talking about doing various rescues. Uh, what, what was one of your most memorable, I guess? Um, uh, <clears throat> one that's fairly close to the bone was uh, there was a, a header moving south out of, uh, out of Tamba Springs. And what had happened is it had a, a, a comb trailer behind it, which is, you know, fairly heavy, going down the steep mm. hill out of Tamba Springs. And then he hit the brakes and only one side uh, braked, got the speed wobbles up and it turned over. Right. Anyway, we went and done that. It was a very big, uh, you know, we had to wait three hours just for the uh, police uh, uh, investigation team to come out. And it was a cold night, except that that's neither here nor there. But... The poor old mate that was, uh, who, uh, yeah, didn't survive that, um, I found out later that I made, I was a contracting hay there. I made hay for him two weeks earlier and, yeah. uh, I didn't recognize him because, uh, he was upside down in the machine and, uh, the, uh, the blood run, um, settled in his head and he had a, a bigger face than mine. Mine's pretty big and round and fat, but, and he was a wiry little bloke. So those sorts of things still ring pretty home truth to you because you've got local people and uh, you're doing a, a job for your local community and sometimes you come across people that uh, that you actually know and that's, that's, that's the hard part of the job. Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen often, but that 
yeah, you're right. It is one of the the risks that we do run operating in our yeah. own little area, I guess, unless maybe you're a, a career person and you do have to drive, you know, half an hour or more for your job. Um, yeah. th- that is one of the problems, I guess, of um, yeah. working local all the time. Yeah, um, you know, I've, um, I've had uh, a, a colleague in SES there at Tamba Springs that uh, was one of the first responders out to an incident and it was his own son. Mm. So that's how uh, that's how close to the bone it does get. So yep, um, yep. yeah, that can be the very ordinary part of the job. But uh, again, we we train to uh, provide that service to the community. Yeah, true. Um, one of the other things I was very fortunate to have a really uh, great mentor, you might say, that uh, probably well he dragged me into SES to start with. But uh, he's old uh, Duncan Walker. Uh, he was the unit controller there at Tampa Springs, and uh, old Duncan ended up uh, becoming the uh, region emergency management officer over at um, at Ballina. So, uh, and he said he encouraged me to have a crack at the Remo role as well. So, and uh, and I got one. So it was uh, fairly interesting, fairly good. But yeah, so I was very very fortunate to have a, a good mentor. Uh, someone to give you that encouragement, especially when the chips are down in the drought and all that sort of business. So, mm. yeah, I was uh, very fortunate. And I think every every young fellow needs to have a, a good mentor. Oh, well, tell us about this Remo job, Regional Emergency Management Officer, because uh, you cover a fairly big area of New South Wales. Yeah, when I was in Broken Hill, I had a fair patch of dirt to look after. It was... Uh, the local government areas from Bulwarana to uh, to Tipperborough, Ningen to Broken Hill, and sort of Ivanhoe down to Wentworth. So it was all that uh, the back corner there. All right. So I had uh, uh, to liaise with uh, Victoria, South Australia, Queensland as well, cross border stuff. But so okay, uh, uh, square kilometres. How how many ballpark? Oh, you're putting it on me now. <laughs> I think it was something like. Uh, I think it was something like forty-six percent of the state, or something, or something like 30, 37 or yeah, something like that. that yeah, okay, 38 percent of the state. Yeah, that's that's a very very big area. Yeah, and the one I'm in now is a bit smaller, but uh, which which is good. But there's more people and more things to to go wrong. But as far as the job goes, it's all about um, uh, being very diverse and uh, build a lot of. Uh, uh, networks, and then you've got to maintain those networks with the ever-changing environment. Uh, and they're across the ESOs, which is uh, the Emergency Service Organisation. So that's the police, fire and rescue, ambulance, uh, state emergency service, uh, volunteer rescue associations, and the rural fire service. So that's one uh, one group. And then the, uh, the other group of functional areas. So they... Uh, are listed under the M plan that they, you know they get a job to either support or lead a, in an emergency. So we're looking at Department of Primary Industries, uh, Health, Engineering Departments, Welfare, Transport, Energy and Utilities, uh, Environmental, and uh, all those guys that are supplying services out there, mm. as well as the uh, local governments in each one of those patches. And like the general manager, he's responsible for. Uh, uh, the local emergency management committee has got to make sure that they happen under under legislation, and uh, I'm uh, I'm advisor to those committees, and they sometimes they employ 
a local emergency management officer to to be the executive to that committee, uh, and uh, and sometimes they you know just get a uh, they got a volunteer or pick someone from council to do it type of thing. Uh, the other other people that we in, uh, liaise with or engage with it can be um, non government agencies as well, such as uh, Red Cross, uh, Defence, uh, Flying Doctor, those sorts of things. So yeah, we're in between all of them, and if, uh, we sort of look at if police need some resources from any one of those areas, uh, it's my job to know someone or give them the right phone number or have the network built up that they come willingly to give the police a hand to do that job. <laughs> so uh, it's it's fairly diverse. Um, I told you before, I'm employed by the New South Wales Police. I'm un- unsworn, um, but my role uh, under the COPS is basically uh, listed in the State Emergency Management Plan um, as a Principal Executive Officer to the Region Emergency Operations Controller, and the re- he is the, um, the New South Wales Western Region Commander of Police. He's an Assistant Commissioner. Um, so I'm his Executive Officer at when he chairs the Region Emergency Management Committee and the Region Rescue Committee. Um, and then and that's inter- an interesting job. If something's going down that's, you know... Uh, uh, a big mine rescue or uh, or a flood or, or or a fire that's just kicked off. Uh, the, my boss needs to know or hear it in one ear from his police crowd through the chain of command through police. And then he also needs to hear it in the other ear from the emergency management job through me uh, to, to tell him that that's going on. And, you know, if he doesn't and Channel 7 shove a, a, a microphone uh, up his nose and says, "What's going? You know, have you heard this?" And he doesn't know. It's fairly embarrassing for uh, all us. And I dare say we'd all feel a bit of heat there. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, as long as we keep on to the game and uh, keep that liaison going, and uh, and tell everyone the importance of those networks to actually keep the the emergency management arrangements afloat in New South Wales. So it's pretty handy. Mm. Um, I certainly love the job. Uh, it's uh, it's all good. Wow! So it seems like basically, if anything big's going on in your region, you're the man. Oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> in a matter of speaking, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not so much a uh, like a, a coordinator of the emergency or anything. It's it's just about making sure that the people that are uh, are supposed to be leading this or supposed should be involved with the liaison officers need to be there to uh, give them all a hand. It's my job to sort of corral them all and mm. and say, well, you know, it's probably in your best interest to uh, turn up or, or my bosses, you know, telling you that he wants you in the uh, the operation centre. Uh, it's basically getting them all together and make sure the, you know, the, the ship's running smoothly type of thing. But uh, yeah. certainly the, my boss is the one that's got all the responsibilities. So, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But anyway, uh, we do what we do. And, uh, yeah, so it's all, all pretty good. Well, how often would you uh, get called out for a, an incident of some form? Are you on call 24-7 kind of thing? or? Oh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a funny thing. Yeah, we basically carry a mobile phone around and, uh, and uh, if, if someone needs us, it, it's, we're on call type of thing um, and uh, quite happy to help. Uh, we don't get a lot, of, uh, a lot of phone calls, you might say, in the, in the bush. Uh, in when you're talking in the big smoke, the uh, 
the Remos down there probably get called out a lot more because, you know, factory fires and, and as soon as uh, someone trips over in the street, it's sort of a, a gridlock for all the traffic and there can be other things all happen where, you know, it steps up to an emergency pretty quick down there. Um, out here, there's a few things like um, stock rollovers uh, involving some uh, pretty uh, significant, uh, you know, uh, coordination of a multi-agency response. Uh, you know, a, a truck accident in a highly populated area, etc., may only be an incident, but out here it's an emergency because we've got a lot of resources that have got to come from a, a long way uh, to actually respond out there to go and give them a hand to get the job done type of thing. Yeah. So it just depends where you are in the state, how big it is, what it is. Uh, and, you know, there's certainly things that uh, uh, police, uh, I'll just say, police officer in charge now that's under the new re-engineering model, uh, the, the senior police officer in the local government area have got some uh, events, if they happen in their patch, that are notifiable to us, that they, they need to get in contact with us followers to uh, to make sure we're in the play and, and notification protocols start happening. So, mm, okay. Yeah, so anyway... Uh, no, that's uh, basically what happens there. Right. Yeah. Well, let's look at it from a practical point of view. Obviously, you you do all the high level, probably a lot of documentation and writing and things, and going if this happens, that happens, and so on and so on. You get notified of things, but what about some other planning events or or even running training events and stuff for you know the, the guys in your local area? How does how does that all work? Yeah, yeah. We've um, uh, these uh, local emergency management committees and the region committee that uh, that are here. Uh, they are planning committees, uh, so they're all about developing and maintaining the regional M plan or the local M plan, etc. Um, in the locals uh, M plans, the Remo is uh, is fairly, uh, oh, what do you class them as an advisor to give the uh, the local committees a bit of a hand to work through the template and get the information out of the local people and and ask them that it needs to go here, there, and um, where it is as part of those uh, that, that planning process. Uh, it's very intricate. There's, you know, there's of, uh, certain information that's public that we're allowed to um, distribute or have up for display, but there's also a lot of uh, restricted information that uh, that's held by the, uh, everyone on the committee. Uh, a significant change from the old disaster plans, as some people may have known them, to these M plans is a consequence management guide. Uh, it's all um, we're trying to capture uh, the consequences out of this event and and have the committees plan things around it that to say if uh, if this this happens, the consequences are, and we need to uh, do or set tasks on page on the page with the consequence guide. And um, mm. and these are the actions that need to be done, and by who, and and, and that sort of stuff. So it's really making these committees uh, get, go in more in depth planning uh, and that sort of stuff. I remember uh, it was a major truck, sorry, a major bus accident here, not far from Dubbo, and um, I said to the, uh, the the police officer when he came back, I said. Uh, did you have a look at the consequence management guide um, from that? Because it's multi-casualty and, and all that sort of yeah. stuff. Uh, and, you know, you've got to put the displaced people somewhere, et cetera, et cetera. He said, you know, I went through that CMG and it's nearly to the letter. It, it really worked well. So, you know, that 
you know, success in that uh, just for him to go and review it and uh, and uh, it was all there, which was really handy. So that that's good. They they're planning committees, and those committees are, you know, certainly the local and then the region one. We're just uh, very close to having the the region one endorsed uh, um, on sixth of September. I think it goes up, which is good. There's been a power of work in that by uh, the region committee. And uh, the Remo's role there is just to sort of pull it all together and, and do the do the grunt work, you might say. But um, our role is also about to reviewing the state-level planning as well. You know, they might send out the state heatwave plan or the state bushfire plan, ask for comment, etc. that sort of business. So that takes up yeah. a bit of time as well. Uh, but these other... Um, uh, local and regional plans, you know, sometimes they've got to go down the, the emergency risk management study component of it as well uh, to assess, OK, what do we really need to be planning for? And, uh, you know, we're not worried about stri- uh, slip trips and falls on a on a corner street type of thing. We, you know, we've got to have a criteria that sets that, you know, it's going to be an emergency uh, and that's how we do business. So uh, mm, that, okay. that's the planning side of the show. Sometimes we come up with um, standard operating procedures, uh, concepts or operations, those sorts of things uh, that come into play. Um, our training training uh, is fairly intricate. We've, we uh, do in-house training with police. So we, we uh, train the people in uniform, uh, or we assist, I should say, with uh, the police incident and emergencies course. Um, so that will be a tabletop sort of thing, or uh, that's probably or, uh, four days of uh, fairly intense training um, by uh, senior police, and also we get a guarantee to go in and help them regarding talking them through an emergency um, scenario and what some of the emergency procedures are and those sorts of things. So that's a like an add-on to that course. Uh, where we've got yeah. the Leocon course, which is the local emergency operations controller. Now, that's the, the most senior police officer in the local government area. Um, and he's uh, basically uh, the leader of the, uh, the show. Uh, and we just give him a, a bit of a, uh, a training day. Uh, I know I've got a, a book that, um, that I've put together for them with all the, uh, the paperwork that they may come across in their time as a Leocon. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, a fairly big book time. It's what about an inch and a half thick, a folder full of, uh, paperwork for them that they may experience. Yeah. So just giving them a bit of a heads up what's on. Uh, and another one's the, uh, site controller training. So, well, yeah, you know, incident management slash site control. Uh, and, uh, yeah, one of the things I usually like to give them is, okay, Oh, just off the top of my head, a uh, road train of sheep has rolled over uh, and um, hit a school bus in front of the Shell service station. And they go, oh, really? And, okay, <laughs> is it an incident or is it an emergency? Uh, and uh, once they start delving into it, yes, you've got uh, multiple people with the school kids. You'll have, uh, for every school kid turns up, there's certainly going to be one or two parents will be there plus you have crowd control, you'll have uh, the diesel spill, you'll have the animals that are all over the place, either alive or dead, etc. So and then they sort of, okay, they need to manage this and process and, uh, and that sort of stuff. So get them thinking about those sorts of things. So uh, 
that's uh, the thing that we run through there. Then mm. as far as uh, multi-agency training goes, we are contracted to the Office of Emergency Management in New South Wales, and um, they've got a suite of training courses that we deliver uh, free of charge to the to the uh, emergency services sector and the functional areas, etc. cetera. Uh, there's uh, an online training package or an, uh, what would you say a prerequisite first to go on to uh, get, teach them all about the, the acronyms that uh, that the emergency services have got, and I've been using a few this, uh, today. Uh, <laughs> That'll be a whole week course, I reckon, <laughs> yeah. at least. Yeah. And you wouldn't even cover them all. Yeah, yeah, usually a few, <laughs> ca- a few pages, but anyway. Um, and then we move on from the, their online course, and they come face-to-face with us, and uh, we do Introduction to Emergency Management for one day, uh, an emergency operation centre concepts, like uh, how how they come together, how you open them, how you work in them, how you close them, etc. Uh, mm-hmm. And then there's a two-day course on evacuation management. Uh, and uh, believe me, I'd like to tell anyone that listens to or any of the public that for the people who decide on an evacuation, it is a really, really big deal. Um Anyone that does it and says they're going to evacuate gathers state-level attention straight away. So it is a real big deal. So we give them a a couple of days on that. Uh, One of the state-level courses is design and manage exercises. Now, I've been very fortunate and assisted with um, this particular training course and uh, develop it. Uh, from the old Mount Macedon days, that's probably down your way. You said no Mount Macedon, but uh, yep, yep. that's no longer. However, we've uh, done basically it's a three day course uh, here in New South Wales now, and we have nighttime work. Uh, they basically write two exercises while they're there, and they deliver one to give the people the skill sets to go away and. Uh, and write another one and deliver it and manage it. Uh, and uh, and when they do all that, they get their, their full competency type of thing. So uh, that's probably one of my passions is exercises. So uh, I'll probably go into that in a while. But uh, there's another one called Manage Exercises. It's a three-day course as well. And it's about the, uh, the overall command, control, coordinate, uh, a multi-agency incident and, uh, and that sort of stuff. So... It's very in depth as well, and uh, yeah, it's it's another good course. Well, the the interesting thing you haven't mentioned yet is the Ames course, um, which is fairly Australia wide. No, no, no. The, the the old ICS stuff. It's interesting because incidents. Here we go. We go for a training here. Incidents yeah. are definitely uh, a lot of the agencies are taking on the Ames or uh, ICS. Um, to uh, manage their agency. When you come across into an emergency operations centre or, you know, uh, when it gets uh, big picture stuff, we uh, we have a few uh, different areas, you know, within the actual operations centre. But we may have, uh, you know, let's just pick on three different agencies uh, in my emergency operations centre. Uh, there's no need for me to have um, uh, people to talk the AIMS business or, or, or have the AIMS roles within my EAC. All I want is one person 
from, let's say, pick on you, being uh, with SES, one state emergency service liaison officer in my EOC to go and then talk back to your incident control centre and he may talk to the planning cell at one stage of the game, he may talk to the operations cell another time, uh, and certainly maybe intel or logistics, um, but we only need one or two blokes in our EOC to talk back to his incident control people. Because you're really talking about the highest level of uh, EOC, you know, Yeah, yeah, that's, it's, yeah that's, that's right. It's an emergency operations centre versus uh, an incident control centre, an agency incident control or an emergency operations centre, which is, means everyone, multi-agency uh, thing, coordination role over the top. And it could be, uh, uh, as set out in uh, in M-Plan, it could be uh, actually running the show if it was a a disaster that wasn't listed in M-Plan, which might, let's pick on earthquake. The senior police mm-hmm. officer in, in my EOC would be the leader of the coordination of all that resources and the emergency response. Whereas if the uh, rural fire service were in a bushfire or the SES were running their flood, our EAC may only be there in support. So um, SES don't want to have, uh, you know, everyone running around like a chook with a head cut off to be doing stuff and there's no control over it. So um, SES may say, well, please just go and evacuate um, West Dubbo to East Dubbo um, and um, I'll say, uh, righto, well, we'll get the police and his emergency operations centre to look after that. We're still dealing with the flood. So they just hand that, that job over or, or a task over to the EOC and the police officer that's there will coordinate all the people in that room to do the jobs. And it may be, okay, where are they going? We uh, need to set up the evacuation centre or an assembly area. Uh, we may need transport to uh, for buses, that sort of stuff. We may need traffic control from council or you know the boards and all that sort of stuff to actually make sure they go the right way. So the whole multi-agency event is there doing the evacuation that SES would have asked them to do yeah. type of thing. So that's a supporting role mm. to the combat Gosh, agency. Seems like you've got a bit on your plate. So what are some of these other things you were talking about, exercises as well you enjoy? <laughs> <laughs> Well, mate, I reckon exercises are the fun bit because uh, one of my mottos is basically um, the more we practice, the luckier we get. So uh, that's uh, a bit of a motto I'll put in front of everyone. So it's it's a very interesting part of uh, of the show uh, to knock up an exercise. It uh, takes a lot to do, uh, a minimum of six months to uh, get a good exercise off the ground or, or ride it properly. Uh, and uh, it's very interesting. And we need to keep doing these exercises because of the the changing of personnel in the uh, especially regional and remote areas. We have professional people, especially police force, maybe only out in a particular area for two or three years and they move around, the same as with other uh, professional industries as uh, health and um, agriculture, uh, they're probably a little bit better. but um, So we've got those people that move around a fair bit. And then we've got the rural decline of the population in a lot of our areas, which is very sad. And it'll, 
this drought will affect it even uh, even further again, which is, a, which is a real shame. So, and then we've uh, that's the people side of it uh, that move and change and, and come into play. But we've also got changes in policy and procedures. Um, if you throw in the agency restructure or re-engineering or a realignment or whatever it is that seems to go through uh, uh, through through our services, which is is uh, okay, it's change. Uh, we've got to move with the roll with the punches, you might say, but it's it can be difficult, and it seems as though uh, it's more about us losing uh, jobs and that sort of stuff in regional areas rather than. Uh, gaming or, or that sort of stuff. Mm. Then you've got airport regulations. You know, our uh, airports out here have to have a an exercise every two every two years. Uh, oh, sorry, a field one every two years, and then the other year they have a, a desktop. So uh, they've got to um, go through their emergency suit procedures quite readily. So Yeah, which, uh, uh, speaking of that, you actually did one recently, I believe. Yeah, we've, we've, uh, we've back done, in March of yeah. 2018. Yeah, we've done a, an absolute uh, ripper. It was here at Dubbo, uh, and it had a couple of different. Uh, it was very complex. It had two different things happening at nearly the same time. We had a full blown evacuation of the terminal, um, where you know people running everywhere and, and carrying on a bit, uh, mm-hmm. especially around that place where you're supposed to. Uh, have that scanning done for security, so that was already in the, in the test as well. Uh, right. And then we had a, a plane hit the deck at the same time, so we had a, a full blown uh, an emergency with multiple casualties, and and um, you know we had live fire going, and and a couple of busloads of people lined up as the fuselage, and poor old pilot was trapped in the car, and they had to cut him out, and. Yeah, so it was very, very complex, uh, and and with that style of an exercise written under the new format, comes up with uh, a lot of lessons learnt. Uh, we've basically got to write down and and know what the outcomes are before we start, uh, and then test those sort of things to make sure that they line up. If they don't line up, okay, we may need to document it through, uh, evaluate it. Etc. And uh, it may go down a lessons learnt process, and yeah. a, a lessons learnt process. Like the easiest way to, to to get that across is that if we do something wrong or whatever it is, and we or or something not up to scratch, and we need to uh, change it, okay, may have to go back to the books uh, and change uh, an improper practice or or make a better one. Then we have to train that practice. Then we have to, uh, you know, sort of exercise it or test it in the in in the in the agency, etc. And the lesson is never truly learnt until the people that are doing it, the people that we've trained again in a different area, actually accept that cultural change. Until they mm. until they accept it, the lesson learnt is not the process is not complete. So that takes years to to achieve those sorts of things. So it's fairly intricate. So, uh, yeah. You know? Well, I was I was looking here. According to this um, article, it says there are about 160 volunteers. But it just makes me think, I mean, you know, whether or not they were people who are actually involved as being casualties or actual emergency service workers, um, 
as you said, with the moving on of people, um, you've got to do these all the time because, hey, we get things wrong often, but if you're not used to doing a scenario that size, well, it's going to get wrong air. You know, it's going to get wrong even more often. So, you know, having having this kind of thing happening all the time every couple of years, yeah, to keep the local knowledge up, it's great. Yeah. And you look at it with the, the, the thing that, like, you're training on AU, training in SES as well, that, that you can train and do exercises in your own patch and you know you're up to scratch and you're, you know, pretty good, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not often that you actually get out to train in a multi-agency arena. And that's the mm. secret what these exercises do is, okay, we sort of stand back on the fringes and say, okay, how are these agencies communicating each, with each other? Are they doing it effectively? Are they working together? Um, uh, this particular the uh, one we had out at um, RFDS uh, at, the, at the airport as well, they had seven doctors on standby that uh, were ready to go for the exercise. Uh, those sorts of things that, uh, gee, we've, we've never had that before. Uh, mm. And ambulance had them at their fingertips on that day. Uh, things like that where there's other people in play. When you're talking airports, you've got the actual airport staff and the airport safety officer and the airport manager. Um, you know, they don't get to deal with them all the time and they've got their own set of procedures. So we're looking at the interoperability of everyone's procedures so they can work together to get a bigger job done because quite often if we go out and do the the normal old car accident, it's, you know, we do it every every Friday night or whatever it is or something happens type of thing. So it, we're quite averse with that, but that's the bigger picture stuff that, uh, that we want to test and, and make sure that we can do the jobs. Yeah. Oh, well, let's have a look at that practically for a second. You're talking about uh, interagency stuff. How on earth does everybody communicate interagency level? Uh, have they got a, a radio system that's all the same channels or, you know, does everybody have a different system? Uh, you know, how much of that sort of works together at this stage? Well, it's interesting if we, and, and again, this wasn't, uh, this wasn't uh, particularly run well at this last incident. We thought we had to go and get radios and hand them out to people. But uh, upon investigation, the uh, there is a, I think there's 10, uh, emergency services liaison channels that we can use that uh, our agencies have plugged into their radios and the police just have to, uh, and when they're at site control, is basically say, righto, we're all going on to channel whatever it is, number three, uh, that'll be the emergency services liaison channel between us all uh, and then they can leave their other radios on their, their normal uh, channel where Ambulance will talk to ambulance co-ord, police will talk to VKG uh, and the, uh, you know, the fireys will talk to their comm centre. But for the, the actual people that are on the ground running the show, for that liaison, can um, switch their channels uh, to, uh, switch their radios to one channel and talk together. So, and that's one yeah. lesson that we have learned out of the last one as well. So, uh, but if, if radios aren't in play, uh, certainly the site control or the incident management team. Um, you'll have a police officer there in charge of the incident and he'll pipe up and say, right, I want one person from each agency to come in and stand beside me uh, with uh, and be my liaison officer. So you, you can tell me what your agency is doing or can do, etc. 
and that's how they run it from the uh, from the, the sidelines, you might say. Yeah, fair enough. And all right, so um, what are some of the other things uh, that we we'd like to cover? Because I, I know we're going for a while, but uh, I feel like <laughs> I could just sit here and listen for ages. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about the listeners, mate. They've probably given up by now. But uh, uh, well, some of the uh, significant operations that I've been involved with, uh, there's been uh, the horse flu event. Uh, I was in the planning cell for uh, that for a little while, as a, a lot of Remo's work, as it went on for a, a long time. There was a fair few snotty-nosed horses running around, and we're looking for big boxes of tissues. So, so what did you actually have to do with that? Because that was pretty devastating <laughs> to a lot of the uh, farriers that were looking after those horses, I guess. Did they have to put them all down? Were they quarantined? Yeah, exactly. No, they're basically quarantined, and um, and uh, Victoria uh, basically shut their borders down straight away and says, we don't want any horses coming from New South Wales because it was a lead-up to your carnival season, you know, the Melbourne Cup. Melbourne and, Cup, yeah. <laughs> you know, how much would that cost if it called the Melbourne Cup off type of thing? So yeah. it was basically uh, stopped in its tracks at all costs. There was a quarantine zones put in place, etc. cetera. Uh, and it's very easy to slap a boundary around something or a ring around something and says, righto, uh, nothing in and out. Uh, it's easy to put a quarantine zone on, but... I was close to the actual vets that were uh, trying to then uh, make sure that they could lift those quarantines. And let me tell you, there is a power of working trying to lift the quarantine zone. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of work that happens. Um, other stuff to be involved with, a fair few uh, declarations and natural disasters with the major floods that we had out west, and I'm sure we're looking for another one now with a big drought here. Yeah. Um, you know, they cost hundreds of millions of dollars to um, to uh, go through. You know, certainly aviation support, uh, helicopters. Uh, you know, we moved a lot of uh, a sheep uh, that were wet in a, in a uh, big event. And um, the DPI have now changed the policy in regard to that, that... Uh, uh, lifting and moving uh, wet sheep when you grab hold of their wool and, and, and move them, you actually uh, bruise their kidneys or you break a selvage under the wool or something, they end up dying of shock or something later anyway. So yeah. they've changed the way they're doing business there. Uh, they can get them out before while things are dry, it's fine, but uh, it's a different story. Mm. And then we had a, a few evacuations of um, villages and, and that sort of stuff in those floods. It's got its own set of, uh, of problems in itself. Uh, fires have been involved with fires. We had a, uh, a an exercise out west of the Tri-State Conference and we um, said, right, oh, we've got a heap of fires going, et cetera, et cetera. And blow me down if the next very next season that didn't happen. There was 50 fires burning uh, between uh, Tipperborough and, and, and Cobar at one particular stage. So that mm. was a fairly big operation as well. Uh, few recovery operations, uh, and I could talk all day on recovery because it is a really, really big deal, and uh, there's a lot of human anguish and and, and uh, emotion and uh, and suffering and and all that sort of stuff that comes in with recovery. And uh, some of the we have to be as emergency manager, managers, we have to be careful that we do things for people. And not to them. Yeah. So we've uh, we've got to be very conscious of that. 
Hey, uh, well, uh, speaking of that kind of thing, I was, I, we haven't touched on it at all, but, uh, yeah, f- for example, um, there's a lot of wheat and stuff and, you know, various other little grains and things that grow out there. Um, what about people stuck in bins and stuff? Um, yeah, it doesn't happen often, but I've uh, <laughs> actually been on a, a training day uh, doing getting someone out of a silo. It is very difficult. Um, we yeah. had a, an exercise here a few years ago uh, with Grain Corp, uh, and it was a lot to do with the vertical rescue stuff as well uh, to actually get people out of uh, grain silos. And uh, because it's very once you start treading, it's like treading water you know, when you're in a in a wheat silo. You just keep going down, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You've just got to keep treading, otherwise you'll you'll get buried in the rotten stuff. So. Um, yeah, just uh, it's just another uh, another industrial type of uh, role that uh, you know, rescue that we've got to perform. Yeah, okay. So it's just part of training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but you know, I've been involved with um, some pretty big searches too. Like we had a uh, missing person search out there where we actually in our church uh, searched uh, seven uh, seven thousand five hundred square miles, mm. mate, uh, looking for uh, this young fellow and. Uh, yeah, it was uh, pretty ordinary. They found him a few years later, I think, a, a stockman. Oh, gosh. Found him a few years later, and, uh, yeah, wasn't very nice, of course, but anyway. Uh, then, you know, missing planes. I've worked with um, the OSSA, uh, Australian Search and Rescue, that come out of Canberra. Yep. Uh, and they're, they're the guys that go and look for boats out in the ocean and that sort of stuff as well. And I tell you what, you learn a lot when you work with that, those, those sort of people too, so... Mm. Um, that was really, really good. Um, some other stuff that's sort of interesting is the, the cross-border liaison networks that we've, uh, we've had to, to come up with. When we, when we had that big, big search there for LD stationers, it's through the, um, uh, the cross-border, uh, forums that we have, like meetings and that sort of stuff, the barrier, barrier highway committee and network, um, they come across and give us a hand and that sort of stuff to, to do this search and that sort of business. So very, you know, there's limited resources out there and you've got to make the best use of, uh, of what you've got yep. uh, and what you've got around you. So, uh, and the intricate things there that we find out in our cross-border liaison and meetings is that, okay, if, if New South Wales SES are responding into, into Queensland and they've got their red and blue lights flying, even without the siren going, that they're you know expediting into Queensland, the coppers can pull them up in Queensland and give them a ticket for having red and blue lights on their vehicle. Oh, there's a problem. Yeah, so yeah, there's a bit of a problem. <laughs> uh, another another one was uh, the classification of drugs between New South Wales and South Australia were different. Where a class eight drug, I think it was in. South Australia was only a class six in New South Wales, and the poor old ambulance officers were in the in the role of uh, they uh, were looking at uh, maybe drug trafficking uh, uh, violations, you might say. So we've, they've had to sort that out at a very very high level. I think they got the cross border commissioner uh, in on that one as well to assist with uh, those sorts of problems. There's a mirage of, uh, of things with uh, the policing and that sort of stuff with uh, their their changes across border, and, and they've broken a lot of those things down there. But a 
probably probably uh, can't really comment on those sorts of no, things. That's but, fine. Yeah, but uh, when we got uh, the uh, the fun part of the whole show is we have a tri-state conference out there where you know, it's in South Australia one year, Queensland the other, and uh, and New South Wales the other one. But I think they're going to make it four states now and involve uh, Victoria as well in the future. Mm. Um, and get all the major players together, the, the police and emergency services, to build those networks. And um, and uh, it's a lot better if you're ringing someone from a long way away and you've actually met him, uh, you know you, you know what they're like and you've already built that relationship. You're not ringing someone else out of the blue type yeah. thing. So there's been a lot of good stuff. And as a remo in my job, if... if if I've got all those people talking to each other and they know that they can ring them up and they've uh, they've built that relationship, that network, seventy percent of my work's done. Yeah, okay. Uh, but you know, and look out if uh, if if they don't know because they, all these phone calls are going through me to try and chase them. So, um, and that that was the benefit of those uh, those networks or those forums mm. uh, to make sure that, that happens. So. You know, they, some of the topics they talk about was, you know, remote policing, rural crime is a big one, uh, remote rescue support. Uh, you know, I remember there was a thing on the news there once where a, a, a motorbike going across the sand dunes out there broke his hip or something, and just so happens that there was an army, I think it was an uh, army uh, plane with the back door that folds down was out in that area and I was able to pick him up and take him through to the hospital. So it's only through networking and, oh, yeah, one of them blokes is in the area yeah. and uh, and they can pull those resources in. So very, very important to make sure that we uh, make all that happen. So, and one of the fun things with uh, the that night is oh, if you get to go to the Tri-State Conference, you've got to take some level of an auction item. <laughs> okay. And in the evening, in the evening, you're... Uh, we auction off for anything and everything, um, and uh, uh, and it's for uh, the Royal Flying Doctor Service. So it's to keep the flying uh, the doctor flying out yeah, there. Yeah, great idea. Uh, and you know, I've seen uh, uh, seventeen grand. Uh, we got one one uh, evening there out of about one hundred and ten people. Mm, wow! Um, so it's very very significant money that uh, that can be raised out there, and a lot of that. That money went to the uh, the pack saddle uh, um, lights on the pack saddle runway for the you know the flying doctor. So yeah. that that money actually stays in the in the in the area. So and that was one stipulation one stipulation that we tried to to have type thing. So mm, fantastic. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's that's it's pretty good, mate. Yeah. So let me let me throw this one at you. Um, we spoke about a long while ago with various exercises and stuff, you, you try and plan for everything and anything that can and does go wrong. Um, what do you do if we get a big solar flare or something like that? Back in 1859, they call it the Carrington effect is uh, pretty much <laughs> where everything just goes belly up. Nothing works. Satellites will be disrupted, so on and so on. Um, you know, looking at the reports, basically it looks like they just got a, a big uh, coronial mass ejection. <laughs> you know, they had the um, Aurora Australis popping up in middle middle of Australia kind of thing. I must have given you too much information, mate. Um, My Wikipedia yeah. is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, well, I've actually, um, you 
as you know, I've written this exercise. It hasn't been run yet. It's only, what, about uh, a couple of weeks now where uh, we're going to run that exercise. And mm. uh, it's all about, yes, you said it was a solar flare. And uh, the sun changes its polarity every 11 years, and that's when they happen. The last one was about 2012 and narrow, narrowly uh, missed Australia's atmosphere. Um, but, uh, you know, look out in 11 years' time, 2023, which is probably the slide I finished my exercise on. Are they prepared for 2023 to sort of uh, uh, keep them in gear? But, yes, it, um, in 1859, the, uh, remember the old... Uh, Morse code, and you had one line going from one town to the other, and the, you know, doing yeah. a little a beep, 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 long, short, long stuff. Bush telegraph. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, um, it actually um, started fires in each particular building that the wire went into that they were connected to because mm. the, the dust that comes off it and lays on everything has got uh, a positive charge in it with uh, neutrons or electrons, etc. And um, they found that they could unhook the batteries because they thought that was uh, that was doing the job, and then they they found that they could still run Morse code on it with the uh, with the the amount of electricity that was still in that. So wow! Uh, and we look at today, and we think, well, okay, how has our society changed since 1859? And we've got uh, satellites that are out there. And you think, okay, what do they run? You know, communications. Uh, oh, what about navigation equipment? Um, I'm going to wonder how many people are going to get lost there because they can't find a, an address because we've come uh, fairly reliant on our mobile phones and our, our tom-toms and all that sort of stuff. So yeah. uh, you won't have um, uh, communications. Uh, the... I think that's why Australia's gone towards the um, optic fibre because it's not as vulnerable to the show as anything to do with um, the old copper wire stuff that did rely on a power to runner. So mm. we've uh, we've got all that in place. So I've coupled that exercise or that that event, uh, which is going to take all communications um, off them. It's going to uh, take all power off them uh, and if you look at okay uh, the the test will be how good is our local emergency management plan to provide any sort of uh, emergency response in that event and also look after the uh, the, the community uh, when it's the business continuity of service providers that are really in question as well uh, if you look at Okay, the provision of communication services, that's going to restrict a few people. But what about FPOS? You know, you won't be able to yeah, go and true. buy fuel or you won't be able to go and buy food unless you've got cash in your pocket. So can they, if you have got cash, can the actual uh, checkout check actually take your money because all that sort of stuff is gone? So we're yeah. just going to test all those little intricacies um, and then, okay, the old fuel bowser, can you buy fuel? Um, have they got a backup power supply to pump it out of the end underground tanks? Um, is it, you know, uh, legal, you might say, to hook up a, 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 a 
generator to it to do the job or or we're going to have full fuel stations blowing up or whatever it is. So there's a lot yeah, of safety, safety stuff that's got to be um, thrashed out with that. You've got um, water supply. You've got uh, water treatment as well. You've got um, um, sewage pumps, sewage supply. So it may become a, a public health uh, problem in a few areas, etc., where it may cause an evacuation. Um, it's talk about what about all your security alarms? So how's uh, how's that going to happen? Uh, you know, <clears throat> something that might come out of it that whoever's uh, got control of the uh, the the food sector in town may be running the show. So you've got to look at how we feed water and uh, and that sort of stuff, and how our community survives uh, in that particular mm. event. So that's that's uh, I'm only a couple of weeks away, and I'm uh, looking forward to running it. Some of the outcomes will be is uh, we want the emergency management arena to identify, along with the business sector, is okay. Which which business supply or service supply need is priority priority one, you know, through to priority ten. So if you've got mm. you know communications power uh, that are one and two, uh, and water supply etc. The whatever it is, um, it might it might even come back to public safety too. Um, that. Uh, we need to say as an emergency management, if we've got them in a list somewhere and we can say uh, in, in some sort of an event later on down the track, they'll say, well, we've lost the first two. If there's, this one here goes too, we're in a world of hurt, which means we need to act now. We have to get our people together and we, and we know that we've got to come together even if we can't communicate with each other. We know that we've got to front up at the, you know, such and such a place to start running it start uh, a response to the event. So quite excited to get mm. that one off the ground, mate. Yeah, yeah it'd, be, it'd be very, very interesting. I mean, you know, it's you can't say it won't happen, but you can't say it will. So, I mean, you've got to prepare for everything, don't you, really? Yeah, well, you know, and if we've got our, our players and our people that know each other and, uh, you know, the emergency managers and, and that sort of stuff that are uh, looking after the, the show, and if we can couple them with the the senior uh, business people of, uh, of the town or the local government area, you know, we should be able to come up with a few solutions and then, and they, this is the opportunity for them to, to do that. Um, but, you know, uh, for me to rob them of uh, a power communication straight off the bat, well, was, it was a pretty drastic event and I was lucky enough to find that uh, the Carrington event that uh, would certainly do that. So that's the first part of the exercise and then I smashed the poor people with a, a major um, uh, hailstorm event as well on top of that that really, really puts the poor <laughs> Gee, old... Gee, you're a mongrel, aren't yeah, you? Yeah. Oh, that, that's what you've got to be. That's what you've got to be. Yeah. Um, I remember All or there, nothing. There's a big event happened at Burke once where there's a, a huge storm actually uh, uh, dropped a big heap of rain over Burke at one time and actually filled up the levee bank on the inside. And I thought, oh, I haven't thought of that exercise. Oh. Yeah, and it actually uh, caused a public health event because the water got high enough inside the levee bank that made the sewage system fail. So all the water in everyone's toilet backed up, and, uh, oh. and uh, yeah. yeah, the toilet sort of overflowed. So that became a public health thing. And I thought, what a simple exercise that would be. 
<laughs> yeah. So, and how do you yeah how do you fix it and deal with it? That's exactly yeah, that's right. Exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but anyway, we uh, we certainly uh, love doing our exercises, but to make them different, make them challenging, and thinking outside the boxes is, is uh, can be difficult. So. Uh, I believe this uh, Carrington event has certainly given me something new to play with, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes here in in Dubbo a couple of weeks anyway. Yeah, look, it'd be good to uh, good to touch base maybe and uh, find out what actually happened or something. You'll have to jump in yeah. our Facebook group and uh, tell us all, or we'll put a, a link to something somewhere and everybody could read about it. But uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 good on you. Pretty fascinating yeah. stuff, that's for sure. I was just thinking uh, some of the other challenges that I've had out here. At- uh, in my role is certainly the remote area rescue response stuff. Yeah, that'd be fascinating because um, I, I do remember when I was in Broken Hill, uh, we got a job to, of all things, a, a truck rollover with I don't know how many sheep on it, but um, <laughs> many, many dead sheep at the end of the job. But I think we drove at least 100 k's to get to the job. Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah. yeah, an hour driving. At night, kangaroos on the roads and stuff, still lights and sirens. You just go, wow, this is just, we're going where, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly right, yeah. And that's what it is. This re- remote area rescue response, you know, is the resources out there and the people out there are fairly damn scarce, as, as you just said. They're thin on the ground. Um, and uh, a sparsely population of, uh, of people as well. So you've got to drive a lot of Ks. Um and I, I remember having a look at the Tom Tom once, and it said the next right-hand turn or the next turn to the right is 566 kilometres. <laughs> I actually took a photo of it. I got it on my phone. I thought, man, alive, that's pretty ordinary. So, yeah. But, you know, that's just what it's like out there. And um, the, uh, the State Rescue Board have allowed some of these agencies to have a 90-minute response time. Now, that's, that's receipt from that's, getting the job to being on scene. That's from getting getting uh, from their place of residence to the truck and responding. Whoa. Yeah, mate. Hang oh, on. That's, that's a response. That, that, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we're talking a lot of country out there, and uh, it's, a, it's a big place. So we've, we've actually, uh, the State Rescue Board have looked at this and they're uh, trying to uh, circumvent it a bit. They're looking at the... Uh, because there's rural fire service and a lot of uh, cockies have got a, a fire truck out there, they're looking at trying to put a couple extra bits of gear on their truck, you know, maybe a, a small set of jaws of life or, or, you know, a bit of stuff like that, that they can actually cut someone out of a car mm. and um, give them a bit of training, a... a just just a, a low-level set of training, and I think it's going to be called Road Crash Rescue or something like that. It's not a full general land rescue business because that's a lot more in-depth. De- in, in but mm. if we get these, we'll have some level of response if we can uh, have a, a few extra trucks out there sprinkled across the actual state that can do the job. So they're, they're looking at that at the moment. It's uh, not fully in place at this particular stage, but they're working on it to... Uh, to try and fill a few actual holes. So. Mm. But anyway, we'll, we'll we'll try and get there eventually. Yeah, but, wow. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting, mate. Uh, if, if, if a message I could get through to to the listeners is to be, 
that I'd urge everyone travelling in the outback to uh, be well prepared. Uh, think about carrying extra water and food because um, it may not be you that requires it. You may come across someone that's been stuck there for a day who needs a couple of bottles of water and a, a bit of tucker because their sugars are low or mm. something like that. So think about the, the fellow man a little bit as well. And, and you're looking at um, communications, uh, radios or a sat phone, uh, as long as there's no no 1859 event will be right with a sat phone, but yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, and uh, certainly to drive carefully, especially in dust on dirty roads, du- dusty roads and that sort of stuff, and don't travel in someone's dust type of thing, you yeah. know, those sorts of things. There's just simple things that you can do and... Uh, when I was out there, I always had the mottos that you never drive past a vehicle that stopped on the side of the road in a remote area. Yeah, stop and say good yeah. Yeah, you'd never know how long they've been there. Or, you know, I remember there's a an old couple there. Said, oh, oh, yeah, we could do with a bit of hand. I can't undo the wheel nuts. I'm not strong enough. You know, mm. he's probably about 85. Yeah. And his wife, wife would be the same. And, and um, yeah, just something simple to give them the hand to change a tyre. Like, yeah, it's... It's uh, just being uh, what you do in the outback. So. But um, we like to say that you drive to the conditions and, and and not to the speedo type of thing. So if it's rough and all that sort of business, you slow down and drive to the road conditions is, is more to the point that I'd like to get across. So, mm. yeah, uh, That's great. Well, Cal... Thank you so much for uh, sharing some of your insights in uh, what you do in uh, the uh, rural parts of New South Wales. Um, absolutely fascinating. Um, I hope everybody's enjoyed this podcast. A bit longer than usual, but uh, I think uh, the delay of not actually having anything up for a while uh, has been worth it. Um, so, Cal, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show today. No worries, mate. Thanks for thanks for having me. And if people want to get hold of you, is uh, what's the best way if they uh, have heard stuff that they'd uh, like to discuss with you further? Oh, yeah, they can reach me on Facebook or Messenger or uh, um, just uh, the Region Emergency Management Officer at, uh, at Dubbo Police Station. Uh, they'll, they'll catch me. Um, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn too, but I don't follow that too much. But, uh, yeah, that's a, a, another avenue. But, yeah, make, make contact somewhere or, yeah, just uh, come and see us at the Dubbo Police Station. Be uh, happy to talk to you. All right, fantastic. Well, uh, we've been speaking with Kelvin Wise, uh, or just Kel, as uh, I suppose you prefer to be called, um, from the uh, Emergency Management Group in uh, New South Wales. If you want to get in touch with us as well, jump on our Facebook page, uh, the Australian Rescue Podcast. Just type it in. I'm sure you'll find it there. Um, and also our website too. We'll have a, a bit more information up about Kel and uh, all this sort of stuff we've been talking about too. But uh, that's it for today's episode. Thanks for joining us, and uh, catch you again next time. Uh, stand by. Australian Rescue Podcast.